morning again. Good to see all of you. I want to welcome as well those online. So glad that you can join with us this morning that way. Uh, man, uh, before we jump into the message, I want to uh, just highlight what we're going to kick off next Sunday. I'm kicking off a brand new series, wrapping up a series on politics. And I said, I just want something light and easy. So let's talk about money. So we're going to start a series for three weeks on money starting next week. The series is going to be called Money Talks. And uh, this is going to be good. I know that each week you're going to have your heart challenged, but you're also going to have some practical tools and some practical things you can take away. So this would be a great season, whether you're, you know, in the room or whether you're online. If you're married, these would be good messages for you to listen to together because, as we know, money can be one of those things that can be a divider in the home. And so I'm praying uh, that there would just be unity and that we would all grow together in this. But I encourage you to be a part of this. Uh, one other th- quick thing. Hey, men, um, I know my bears lost last week. Went, went. But the Bears play the Vikings in two weeks, okay, on Monday night, okay? And so the men are going to gather together here in the lobby. We're going to set up a big projector and watch the game here on November 16th. And so if you want to come join men, just mark your calendars for that. And if you want to trash talk me all night long, feel free to do so. That's, that's great, guys. But anyways, cool. Well, we are wrapping up the series uh, that we've been in the last six weeks of an election-proof faith, all right? And uh, just so excited to finally get to close this one out. But I got a question for you. Have you ever been laying up late at night? You know, you're, it's late at night. You're laying in bed. It's quiet in the house, and all of a sudden you hear something, right? You hear something, and you're just like, and I have a really good imagination. So while I'm laying there, I begin to imagine there's somebody in the house right now, right? I think there's somebody downstairs. And then I sort of met they're probably eating food out of my refrigerator right now. <laughs> And I have the thought, like, I should go down and check on this, but I'm like, what am I going to do if I get down there and there is somebody down there? Like, go away. What are you, like, I don't, I, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? And so then I end up laying there, and because I don't care that much, I, I just fall back asleep. Not a big deal, right? But if my wife hears a sound, <laughs> how many know I'm going to get out of bed, right? I'm going to have to go check on this thing because she is not going to be happy until she texts on that. But it's more than that. So when we were first married, uh, we had this little townhouse apartment-y kind of thing. It had a little tiny garage uh, connected to it, right, and this little, this little door, you know. And, and every night I would lay in bed, and her desire was that that little door to the garage was locked, right? It had to be locked. How many of you have that thing? You got to check it every night. Yep, so there's people you do that. You got to check every night. Is that little thing locked? Okay, it wasn't a big deadbolt. It wasn't anything strong. It wasn't like the, you know, none of that stuff. It was like the little handle thing, you know, so secure, right? But I would get into bed every night, and, and she, did you check the door? I'm like, I don't know. I, okay, go check. The, okay, I go check the door. I lock the door. It's a lot of times I had forgot to do it, whatever. So good. I'm a good husband. I make sure that the door is locked. We go to move. This is two years in. We go to move, and uh, I'm uh, going to the house because we're getting stuff, and I got I to gotta pack stuff up, and I get to the house. I had given my key to someone else, and so I get to the house. I open the garage door. That little handle is locked. I'm like, shoot. I call Amber. I'm like, I need a key. She's like, I'm a half hour away. Sorry, I can't get there, and I look next to me, and there's a wire, and I slip. I look at it, and I slip the wire, and whew, and I unlock the door in about two seconds. And I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> the amount of times I got out of bed to lock that stupid door, and me, who knows nothing, picks the lock in two seconds. But this is where we're at. We live in a world where it's really easy to just kind of get nervous, get anxious about things, right? Now we have food these days, right? Remember when food used to be fun? You used to just be able to eat stuff, and nobody made you feel bad about it, Right? But now they put stuff on everything. They tell you, oh, this had the GMOs, and it's got the gluten. I'm like, I just want to eat my Wonder Bread. I know it's full of chemicals. I don't care. Let me have some fun, right? 
This is the world that we live in. And, and, and then we've got things like this. Like, it used to be able to just be sick or have a problem, and then you just get better. Now we have WebMD, right? And you can put all of your stuff in. Like, I stubbed my toe the other day. It told me I had bubonic plague. And I'm like, <laughs> like I, you get freaking out about everything, you know? There's so many things to stress out about. And then we have social media, which adds more stress to our lives. Because remember when you only used to know, like, 50 people? So those 50 people, they had something happen in their life, then you were concerned about it. Now we know everybody. Like some, you know, sister's uncle's brother's friend, you know, twice removed is sick, and we know about it, and then we feel bad, and we feel sick. Like it just adds this weight to our lives where we're walking around with all of this stress. And then we enter 2020, and all the fun of 2020. And then we walk into this election season, Right? And there's all of this weight, there's all this anxiety, this stress, these things to worry about, to think about, to freak out about, all this kind of stuff. This morning, I'm not going to preach a complex message at all today. I'm going to give you a really simple, we're going to leave you at the end of the day with one very, very simple thought, and I think it's something every one of us needs to hold on to. We need it right now, absolutely. But it's one of those things that I think every one of us needs at every moment, because there's going to be times in your life. Some of you are there right now. You're in a tough season. There's other times where you're going to go through a struggle. There will be those valleys. What do we hold on to in those moments? And this morning, I think I'm going to give you a tool to hold on to, all right? If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Jude. Jude. And some of you are like, Jude, that's in the Bible? <laughs> okay? Jude is in the Bible. It's very, very short. It is only one chapter long. If you don't know where it is, turn to the book of Revelation, which is the very last book of the Bible, and then turn back one page. Okay? It's just before the book of Revelation, all right? Jude. There's only one chapter, so I don't even have to tell you that. Jude, verse number 24. All right, would you stand with me? It's our tradition around here. Nothing sacred about standing. It's just what we do uh, to honor God's word together. Marie, two verses for you here. Verses 24 says this. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this truth. Lord, I can't convince anybody of anything. I pray that your Holy Spirit would awaken this in our hearts and in our souls today. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, before we dig into today's message, I want to do a little review. We've been in this for six weeks. We've already had five weeks of this. And what I want to do is I want to walk through. If you've missed any weeks, I think this is great. If you've missed the entire thing, this is your first time. You're going to get the Cliff Notes version of all of the message over the past month and a half, all right? Uh, but here's what we did. We began in week number one with one simple word. It was this, allegiance, allegiance. And we said, who or what has our allegiance is very, very important. You remember there was a picture that I pulled up for you, and it was a picture of a solar system. Oh, no, it's not showing up here, but it's over there, okay? There's a solar system, right? And we said, listen, this is the way very often we view our world. We've got, in the middle of it, we've got us, right? We've got our own lives and everything we've got going on in our lives. And then we've got all of these things that circle our own lives. For some of us, the thing that would be most important is our faith, and so our faith is right here. It gets really close. We, you know, it's so important to us, right? And then we've got things like our marriages or our families or our friends and our careers. And we've got the things that we like, our likes, our dislikes, our values. We've got our money. We've got our politics. All of these things are areas of our life that are circling us. Remember what I said. This is not what it looks like to follow Jesus. 
See, a follower of Christ says, I'm no longer on the throne of my own life. Right. Says, Jesus is now here in the middle of life. And rather than my faith being a planet that circles and is ultimately about me, right? Rather than my money being about me, rather than my relationships being about me, rather than everything ultimately being about me, everything now is my faith. And it's all about him. How can I worship him through everything I've got? And I said one of the challenges that we have is oftentimes we will get involved in what's called idolatry. And what is idolatry? It's making anything other than Christ at the center of our world. And if we're not careful during seasons like this, I've talked about this, that sometimes unknowingly we can allow our politics to become the center. And suddenly everything in our life is influenced based on what our politics says or what our political party tells us is important. We said followers of Christ don't get to do that. Our politics must be surrendered to Christ. It's about him. How do I worship him through my politics? Not how does my politics relate to God some way. All right? It's all about him. And the big so what for week number one was this. Our allegiance to Christ must be primary. Nothing else can take that place. If we are, we are in a very dangerous place, all right? Then we went to week number two. In week two, we looked at the story of Joshua. Remember, Joshua was coming to the city of Jericho, and he's gonna do battle against Jericho, and he comes up to this guy. It ends up being an angel of the Lord's armies, and he asks him a really important question. He says, hey, are you for us? Are you for them, right? Are you on our side? You on their side? And what does the angel of the Lord say? Neither. No, I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. No, God is on his own side, all right? And the big so what from that week was simply this. The question isn't, is God on my side, but am I on God's side? Very often we live our lives trying to think, well, I'm gonna do this thing and I think God's cool with it, right? I carry on with my life. He's fine with it. He's good with this, right? And right now during the political season that we're in, we've got people that are on completely different ends of the political thing claiming that God is clearly on their side. He's on my side. Whose side is God on? He's on his own side. So when we operate, the goal isn't, man, I, I, I'm going to commit to these things, and then if, if, if God is interested in things that don't fit my political party, well, then I'm going to ignore those right now because really it's about my side. No, no. The question is, am I on God's side? No matter where a topic lands on a political spectrum, it better be important to us if it's important to God. As followers of Christ, we must value what God values, not what's convenient and politically expedient for us, okay? Wherever it lands. I had somebody after that week get up and say, you know what I love, Greg? I don't know who you're voting for. I said, good. I don't really care because if I'm up here and you clearly know who I'm voting for, then I'm preaching a party more than I am preaching Christ. And my desire here in every way is to lead you to Christ. That is more important than anything else, all right? Whose side are you on? Let's get on God's side. Then we got uh, to week number three, and I I started kind of a mini-series on love. You remember this? We talked for love for three different weeks. And the first week, we we, uh, shared this story out of Colossians, or a little passage out of Colossians. And remember, Paul is talking to these believers. He says, you need to put some stuff on. Remember the language was you need to get dressed. You need to dress like a follower of Christ. And what's the one thing we need to put on? Love. You have to put on love. You remember the big so what this week? It was this. Like is a reflex. Love is a habit. See, whether we like or dislike someone or something, that's a reflex. it's, It's just natural. It's just what comes out of you. But listen, love is not natural. Love doesn't just ooze out of us. Love is a habit. It is something we must build. That's why he says you must put 
on love. Dress yourself in love. It takes work. We have to lay down our rights. We have to surrender ourselves and say, I prefer you above myself. That's what love looks like. All right? And then we got to week number four. And we said, sometimes we don't have a clue how to do this well. We don't know what to do. And so we looked at a passage out of the book of James. You remember he's, he said three things. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If I'm going to be honest with you, in the last few weeks, I've had some times where I've still been quick to speak, <laughs> slow to listen, a little quick to be angry. I'm still imperfect. But every time I'm like, oh, God, help me. <laughs> Would you help me? Why do we say it was so important? Because when we take those steps, we're embodying love to someone else. Because rather than coming and bringing our own opinions and our own thoughts and fighting for our way, we're meeting somebody right where they are. And when we do that, we embody the gospel. Because what did Jesus do for us? He met us where we were. And some of you, maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you walked in the door for the first time today. Hear this. God loves you so much. He will meet you where you are. The good news of the gospel isn't that you clean yourself up and then maybe God will be happy with you. That's not it. That's never going to work. He'll meet you where you are. He will never leave you where you are, but he will meet you where you are, and he'll lead you to who he's called you to be. All right? And then uh, it's big so what for that week was just this. Love with your ears. Remember? Love with your ears, not with your mouth. Okay? Love with your ears. Let's, let's listen. Let's look to meet people where they are. And then last week, if you missed last week, we talked about this whole philosophy of us, them. Right? There's the us's. All the us's. And who's the us? It's the people we think like, we look like, we dress like, we act like, we have the same place we're from, all those kind of things. Those are the us's. And it's so easy to love the us's, right? And we can't stand the them's sometimes. The them's, the people that don't think us, that don't act like us, that are outside of that. And we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you missed last week, you need to go back and watch that message because a lot of times we miss the point. We think the point is go be nice to a stranger, right? That wasn't the point of the story. The point was to blow up any boundary or limit to your love. Anything that would limit you loving someone else, you got to end that thing. God says there is no them. That's the big so what from last week. It was when it comes to love, there is no them. There is no one that is outside. And the good news of that is that that's how Christ operated toward us. <laughs> and we aren't called to love others the way we feel like it. We are called to love others the way Christ has loved us. That's the call of the gospel. All right, so we're going to uh, wrap up here. But before I do that, I want to... I want to bring up one point that I wanted to share last week and I, I didn't quite remember. And that, that has to do with stepping into a booth. Now I understand many of you have probably already voted in some way. But the challenge when we step into a booth is this. If we are going to be those who love, then we need to bring love to the voting booth. Here's what I mean. Sometimes we walk into the booth with hatred, anger, or bitterness towards someone or some group. Now, and we're voting against someone. Now, it's fine to be against a philosophy, but when we are against a person, we've dipped into an unhealthy area, okay? And, and I, I don't say this because necessarily that always is going to change who you vote for, but I will say this, that your heart matters. The booth doesn't register your heart, but God knows your heart. And when we walk into a booth to vote, say, God, I want to have a pure heart. May my motivation be pure. May I be pursuing what is best. Not pursuing just what's good for the us's. God, may I pursue and function in love for them. 
And God, help me to give me wisdom in that way, all right? That's my challenge to you. God, may we have hearts that are pure before you as we engage, all right? And my challenge to every one of you, if you haven't already taken the step, I don't care how long you gotta wait, engage in the process. That's our privilege as Americans. It's our privilege that we get to be a part of the process of selecting leadership here. And and I just encourage you to prayerfully engage in that, all right? Well, we are gonna look at our uh, text here this morning uh, as we look at these two verses out of the book of Jude. I want to give you context. We say this all the time. Context matters. If you don't have context, you make up stuff. You make those scriptures say things it was never intended to say. All right, the book of Jude. Who is Jude? His his name is also Judah. Jude was a brother of Jesus. All right? And Jude thought that Jesus was Savior of the world, right? No. He thought his brother was crazy, right? They tried, they rescued him. They said, Mom, he's doing it again. He thinks he's God, right? They tried to grab him. He was at a party. They snagged him and snatched him away because they're like, he's embarrassing us. And I said this about James. Remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus. What would, what would you have to do to convince your brother that you're God? I got nothing. Like, there's nothing I could do to convince anybody that I am God. But somehow... Jude is able to convince, and it isn't because he preached a good sermon, right? I say this all the time. It's not that he didn't convince his brother. He's got Jude saw a resurrected Jesus, and he said, whoa, apparently I was wrong. (laughs) And he went from being, thinking his brother's crazy, to going and being an evangelist, walking around and sharing the hope of Jesus, teaching people about Christ, that he is the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. And he's gone around and he's, and he's helped with all these churches. We don't know tons about his teaching, but we do understand something when you read the whole book of James. It's clear, or Jude, it's clear that he went and he's spoken to these people. He's poured into them. He's left. And now he hears stories about some crazy stuff going on. So he's writing a letter back to them to encourage them. And what's going on? These are followers of Christ. And something has happened, some spiritual Teachers have walked in and they're t- saying this. Listen, the grace of God is so good. He's so good. He'll forgive anything. You can do whatever you want to. Just go act. It doesn't matter. Your sexuality doesn't matter. The way you interact, your morale, none of those things matter. Just do what feels good because God's grace covers it all. And he's like, that's not right. You better be careful. They are taking you the wrong direction. That's the point of this book. He said, Your, what you do does matter. Because James talks about this. If, if We can say we have faith, but if it doesn't work its way out in our action, you don't have any faith at all. Our actions don't save us, but they are symptoms that there is saving faith in our hearts. And that's what he's trying to teach them. He's trying to help them understand this. Be aware. What you do matters. So if you've ever had a really a cotton candy gospel in the past that says, oh, Jesus will just save you. Let, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Listen, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Our response to Christ, as we said, we have to put Christ at the center of our world. And when that happens, it better affect the way we behave. It better affect the way we live. There better be righteousness, pursuing righteousness and holiness in our lives, all right? So this whole letter, he writes this whole thing, and then he gets to the end, and there's this doxology. Maybe says that in your, word, in your Bible. It's, it's this idea of a, a moment of praise where he praises God at the very end, these two verses. And, and I find it interesting that he has a whole letter that's about what we do matters, but then he ends by saying, but that's not where our hope's at. Our hope's not in us. What does he say in verse 24? To him, to him, that's not you, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. I've got two points and a big so what for you, okay? Here's the first point. It's this. He holds us. He holds us. A lot of times people, I'll, I'll see people struggle in faith. It's like, I'm just trying to grit my teeth and bear, trying to hold on. I hope I don't fail. I hope I don't fall. Listen, there should be a confidence in you. It isn't just you on your own. Christ is holding you. He cares for you. He wraps his arms around you. When you submit your life to him, you are a child of God. Listen, if my kids are struggling, they don't have to do it on their own. They know that daddy is here. I will hold on to them. I will protect them. I will guard them. I am working with them. I want what is best for them. I want what is good for them. And hear this. That is how the father feels about you. That is how he treats you. He holds on to us no matter what you're facing. And some of you are going through hard stuff. Some of you are walking in hard stuff right now. You walked in the door this morning. There's tears in your eyes because you don't know what you're going to do. You're like, I don't have anybody. There's a God in heaven that walks with you. I say this all the time. I love Psalm 23 because it doesn't say that God will meet us on the other side of the valley. It says he'll walk through the valley of the shadow of the death with us. So whatever you're going through, wherever you're walking, listen, your father cares about you. He's not leaving you on your own. I know we can feel that. If we operate on our feelings sometimes, there's a lot of crazy things I would do if I operated on my feelings but I choose not to operate on my feelings. I choose to operate on the promises of God that says he'll never leave us. You're not on your own. And this is the confidence that we have, the faith-building thing that we should have, this hope that we should have is this, is that he holds us. No matter what you're facing, no matter what season you are in, as you stay close to him, he says, I got you. I've got you. I am holding on to you. I will not let you go. It's our hope. There's a second point, and this is the thing we really need right now. It's this. He holds all things. He holds all things. What does it say? To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now, and forevermore. Is it any more clear? He's got all power and authority. He has it all in his hands. He holds all things. So often I think, you know, I get focused on my little moment in life. You know, the things that I've got going on in the world. And then in those moments I try to remind myself, oh yeah, that God that I serve, actually, he's the one who created the entire universe. And when you think about that, you realize, oh, I think he's okay. I'm going to use a little, a little thing as an illustration this morning. Here's a pumpkin. Uh, you may not know this. My wife likes decorating for holidays. Every holiday. It <laughs> doesn't matter how insignificant the holiday is. Our home is decorated for that. And there's somewhere in the vicinity of 40 to 50 pumpkins in my house and outside of my house right now. So this is one of them. Praise God, Christmas is coming. The pumpkins can go away. But I grabbed this this morning because when, I, when we think about just some of the the circumstances and the challenges that we have in life. I think this is how we function. Here's my problem. I got my thing, you know, and you've got your thing, whatever it is. Um, it's a personal thing. Maybe it's in my family. Maybe it's in this church. Maybe it's in my community. Maybe it's a world problem, whatever it is. But this is what happens. 
And I walk around in my life like this, just staring at my problem, focusing on my problem, thinking about my problem, concerned about my problem, overwhelmed by my problem. But you understand what happens when I do this? I can't see anything else. My perspective is taken off. And I could be standing next to Mount Everest and not have a clue because my problem is right here. And I think the problem that we have or the issue that we have is so often we're trying to fix our problem rather than fix our eyes. (laughs) I'm going to start preaching if you talk like that. This is what we do. We, and we coddle our problems, and we, oh, I love my problem, and I think about it, and I don't want to lose my problem, because if I lost my problem, I'd lose my identity, because my identity is wrapped up in my problem. Instead, saying, I'm, gonna, I'm done with the problem. Sorry, Amber. I'm done with the problem. <laughs> saying, God, God, I need to fix my eyes on you. I've got to get my eyes off of what I'm struggling on, what I'm thinking about, what I'm concerned about. And instead, God, I need to put my eyes on you. You are king of kings. You are Lord of lords. You are on the throne. You have all things in your hands, all right? And so I want to get to our big so what this morning. This is the thing. You need to write this down. You need to put it on your window. You need to put it on your mirror. You need to put it on your dash. I don't care what. You need to tattoo it inside of your eyelids. I don't care where you need to put it. It, put it somewhere, all right? And here's the big so what. It's this. God is in control. Act like it. Okay? God is in control. Let's act like it. All right? We, we, are, we are those who shouldn't operate like everybody else. Maybe you've heard me say that before, right? We can't live like everybody else does. And our world is filled with people who claim that God is in control. They claim that he is their hope, but they're walking around freaking out like everybody else is. Do we believe this or not? Like, if we, if we don't, then let's stop wasting our time here on Sundays. Like, I could do other things with my life. You could do other things with your life. But if he's in control, let's act like it. Let's believe, let's trust, let's act like those who have hope. Let's throw off all the fear, let's throw off the worry, let's throw the dumb pumpkins away and say, God, we're going to get our eyes on you. There is a Mount Everest next to me and I'm going to stand firm on him, not on my problems, not on my concerns, not on my worries. Listen, when it comes to this season we're in right now, for this election season that we're in, you understand it. I've got people, uh, you know, the, probably the, the biggest disappointment, I won't even say it's a frustration, disappointment for me is right now during this season that we've got spiritual leaders in our nation saying things like this. Listen to my heart as I say this. The fate of the church is on the ballot. Listen to me. Listen to me. The comfort of the church might be on the ballot. The fate of the church is firmly in the hands of our God. What did Jesus say? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We can't operate. We're like, oh no, the church is going to, no. God's in control. Let's act like it. Let's act like we believe what we say. We sing it all the time. Then let's act like it. Let's trust him. Let's believe. Let's stand on the promises of God. Hear this. I love America. I've told you this. I love America. 
I would love for our nation to prosper from here till Jesus comes. But guess what? Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. That's just reality. Nobody thought the Roman Empire was going to fall. Nobody thought the Greek Empire was going to fall. There's empire after empire after empire has fallen. But guess what? The kingdom of God will never fall. What does it say in Revelation? Revelation chapter 11, and if you know it, you'll want to sing it while I read this. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. His kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is eternal. Let's get our eyes on his kingdom. As followers of Christ, we must pursue his kingdom. Our hope should be grounded in his kingdom. Our joy should come from his kingdom, all right? There's an old song that says this, I don't know who holds the future, or I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, right? And uh, that's just reality, (laughs) I, I love it when, you know, you, people make all their plans. Even Jesus said, people make all their plans, but only God knows, right? I know what's going to happen this afternoon, you know? I mean, who's going to win? Is it the Vikings or Packers today? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Some of you think you know. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday, right? Are we going to have a president on Tuesday night? I don't know. <laughs> We're going to have a president in the next month? I don't know. <laughs> What's going to happen as a result of who is selected? I don't know what's going to happen. So four years ago, there was an election very similar to this one, right? And I had a, I had a close friend of mine who um, he was sitting in a message very similar to kind of some of the ideas I'm talking about today. And he was sitting there, and uh, he was uh, going to be voting for Hillary. And, uh, and so he was sitting in a room full of a bunch of people who he perceived a majority of the people were not going to be voting for Hillary. And so the, as the pastor was speaking words of encouragement of you, no matter what happens, we need to trust in God, he was sitting there fairly arrogantly saying, man, it's a good thing these people are hearing this message because they really need to hear this, this truth. They really need to, to really rely on God because you know, he was very confident that Hillary was going to win that election. We all know what took place. And when he talked to me afterwards, he said, I just sat there, you know, 48 hours after the election, and I realized I was the one that needed that message. And it wasn't because my person didn't win. It was because my hope was still in a person. My hope's in the person. Listen, it doesn't matter. Even if your person wins, this is still true. If your person loses, this is still true. This is the thing that should be our foundation, the rock, the thing that holds us, that keeps us from shaking, that keeps us from operating like everyone else, is that God is in control. God is in control. What does it mean to act like that? It means that rather than looking to the news to be where you find your hope, you turn to the word of God. Say, God, I'm going to ground myself in your promises and in your truth. I'm not, I'm not going to look to other people to fill my tank. I'm going to look for you to fill my tank up, God. I'm going to lean here. But there's another practical step, and this is something that I, I want to leave us here. And this is our challenge for this morning, and it's this. Worship. I, I spoke a message about 
just under a year ago, and I said, praise is a weapon. Why is it a weapon? Praise is a weapon because you get to a position where you begin to sing and celebrate who God is. And your attention goes from your pumpkins and your problems to to being focused on him. You're reminding yourself of the truth of who God is. Scripture says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As you begin to sing the truths of who God is, the truths of his word, it builds faith in your heart. It inspires faith in your heart. It transforms your circumstance. And listen, there's times in my life where I'm not sure what to do. I don't know how to deal with something. I don't know where to go. You know what I do? I'm going to worship. 